Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, May 25th, 2010. I think I've got the perfect amount of program today. I didn't overcook it. I don't think I overprepared. I don't think I underprepared. I I might actually be learning how to do radio. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of just crazy, bizarre stuff being said out there about God. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of this stuff is found nowhere in the Bible. And when somebody is telling you something about God, and it's, well, not in the Bible, uh, then they're just really actually telling you um, the fantasies, the dreams, the, um, the the ravings of their own mind or heart. And maybe worse, they, they might actually just be uh, schnookering you. Now, I know schnooker is a word. I um, Yeah, but see, you don't want to be schnookered. That's, that, that's, that's really bad, especially when it comes to spiritual schnookering. Spiritual schnookering does tend to send people to hell, including the person doing the schnooking, schnookering. Yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. So b- spiritual schnookering, bad. Uh, being spiritually schnookered, bad. Easy. Th- by the way, it's super easy to not be schnookered. Yeah, it's get into God's word, the Bible. You can believe it. You can trust it. And not only that, it's really not that hard to get. I, now, granted, there are some difficult passages in the Scripture. There are some tough nuts to crack. That being said, that's not the majority of the, of the Scriptures. The majority of the Scriptures are pretty easy to get, pretty easy to comprehend, especially if you have a good, solid, uh, modern translation like the ESV, which I study from. Uh, or uh, if you if you have a good study Bible, I highly recommend the Lutheran study Bible. It doesn't matter if you're not a Lutheran. I'm telling you, yeah, if if you are a Christian, yeah, that you call yourself a Christian, the Lutheran study Bible is absolutely par excellence the best study Bible I have ever used. It, it I, I am just um, uh, continually amazed and impressed 
uh, by the good stuff, the great biblical articles uh, that are in the Lutheran Study Bible. Uh, the, I mean, the notes, I mean, if you have a question about a text, there's stuff in there that'll help you get it. You'll sit there going, yeah, I'm not sure. Take a look at the Lutheran Study Bible because it's not just recent scholarship that they've put in there. It, they've got treasures throughout the entire history of the Christian church. You've got stuff from ancient church fathers. Uh, you got stuff from uh, uh, theologians in the the. I mean, in the last part of the first millennia, you got, I mean, Reformation scholars, Kearns. I mean, it's great stuff. So, I mean, we we are living in a time where good biblical studies, uh, bib, you know, good biblical tools are available to practically everybody. And, and yet the epidemic the pandemic of biblical illiteracy and those who just i mean they go to people who go to church and their biblical literacy never rises above the um uh, what you can fit inside the brain of a tadpole i mean it, it's unbelievable and so i mean i strongly recommend a good uh, a good study bible like the lutheran study bible and uh you fathers out there Treasury of Daily Prayer, good. It's, that's a great thing. You know, make it so that the Bible is the main meal at your dinner table, and uh, and not not the food, but the, you know, but the Bible itself. Everything else is appetizer. The main meal being God's word, because that's what Christ says. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Get into the scriptures. Get into the Bible. Dive into it. Don't sit. You know, one of the things that happens is, is that. You ever, uh, what is that phrase? Uh, paralysis by analysis. Oh, yeah. And there's no, it, by the way, and sometimes you know, there, there are certain personality types out there that really work well with sitting down and writing a plan out and having a thing to do list. And then there's a whole nother group of people who, if you make them sit down and write out a plan and a to do list, that actually stifles their ability to do things. So if you are if you're the type of person that really w- works well under structure, there are great uh, read the Bible in a year plans, and there's I, I recommend reading it more often than that. But that's just me. Um, but there's you know if if, if you're going to do it as a family, do you know read the Bible in a year? It's a great thing to do. Um, you know, and the Treasury of Daily Prayer helps you out with uh, really getting through the vast amount of scripture in a year. Um, but the idea here is, is dive into God's word, read and reread the stories. Re- I mean, from Genesis through the prophets, I mean, when you, and, and, I mean, and don't stop at the narratives, work your way through some of the harder gravelly parts of scripture. The, all of scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking training in righteousness all of it even even the parts where they get where uh, where god is giving moses the directions on how to build the tabernacle that's all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of jesus christ and the tabernacle here on earth was was literally a copy of the one that truly exists in the heavenly realm so i mean there's i mean there's some important stuff that's going on in the bible but here's the more familiar you are with God's word. The more fluent you are in God's word, 
the more familiar you are with the stories in God's word, the less likely you are to be deceived and your children as well. And so, I mean, it amazes me that my kids are not trained in theology. They don't read Greek and Hebrew. They have never studied philosophy or apologetics. And yet um, it amazes me that all three of my kids, I could I could be doing my program prep. And if one of my children overhears me, uh, overhears the sermon that I'm listening to uh, in preparation for the program, that they hear something that they know is off, they'll go, oh, dad, that was awful. I can't believe that he did that to God's word. And these are children. How did they come to be this way? Well, ever since they were knee high to a grasshopper, the Bible has been the main course at our dinner table. Now, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because really that's what we're called to do, dads. We're called to feed our children God's word, to teach them to pray by praying every day. And so, you know, and here's the deal. You become fluent in God's word. You know all the stories and you'll never, ever, ever grow bored or tired of it. Because the one thing that's, I mean, God's word is living. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. This is, the, the Bible is not the, the words of men. It is the word of God and it has power. I'm telling you, it has power to lay bare your soul to bring you to your knees in weeping over and remorse for your sins. It has the power to lift you up and provide you with the greatest joy possible, the joy of knowing your great God and Savior who not only made you, but died on the cross for all of your sins. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's so vital that you dive into the scriptures not and not just feed yourself with it, but feed other people with it. Because trust me, one of the things that happens is, is that as you are teaching others, you are teaching yourself too. And that's the cure. I'm telling you, God's word is the cure. The gospel is the cure for what ails our society. So here we have all of these token Bibles collecting dust on bookshelves and nightstands and coffee tables and when well, we need to be in them. We need to be in our scriptures. You know, there is a passage in the, in the Old Testament where God says he's going to judge Israel by sending them a famine of his word. There is nothing worse than a famine of God's word. Nothing worse. I mean, you, the problem is, is that when there's a famine of God's word, you don't see people on the news because their their bellies are bloated and they're dying. But if you really understand what God's word teaches, that's the worst thing that can happen to a society, to a culture. Because that's God basically keeping people in their sins and not allowing the good news of the gospel to be proclaimed. Talk about ultimate judgment. You know, that's what that leads to. So, there, my admonishment to you, read your Bibles. 
Read them daily. Read them, mark them, inwardly digest them, get into the stories. No, 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 no what the scriptures say. That was K-N-O-W, not N-O. Yeah, so anyway. All right, today's edition of uh, Fighting for the Faith. I got a uh, got a story. Have you heard the news? A FEMA photographer apparently, uh, you know, there, there were Salvation Army folk out, out working uh, to help uh, victims of a tornado, and the FEMA photographer told them they had to take their shirts off if they wanted to be photographed because their shirts had the Salvation Army logo on it. Uh, we wouldn't want anybody knowing that there's Christians out there, you know, helping their neighbors, you know, helping those in uh, Christians more. Christians in churches many times. Uh, get to natural disasters before FEMA does. Just want to let you know that. And and yeah, but don't let anybody know that the Christians are there. So they, apparently the uh, uh, the there's uh, news on this FEMA photographer and and FEMA's apologizing, but the damage is done. And uh, and then we got an Al Mohler piece uh, entitled "Do We Really Know Jesus?" And uh, and then as promised yesterday, I'm going to talk about Leonard Sweet. He's uh, he has an article that he's published called uh, "Response to Recent Misunderstandings," and um, Len Sweet has been on my radar for a while, and I really haven't talked much about him. I, I've even mentioned him at all. Uh, he's a guy over at Leadership Network. Uh, he's Mister uh, e, uh, Postmodern Missional Guy, and uh, um, yeah, uh, his book "Quantum Spirituality" is a quagmire to at. at at the very least. And it's interesting what he wrote, and I think it's an example of doublespeak. We'll talk about that today. And uh, then in hour number two, uh, probably uh, this sermon's really interesting. It's entitled Breaking a Spirit of Deception, and yet this is probably one of the most deceptive sermons I've heard in a while. (sighs) This is by Pat Schatzline uh, from uh, Summit Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So that'll be uh, that'll round out the program in hour number two. So uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper, and uh, which requires me to. <clears throat> I, I hit the wrong button on my. I, I, why? What's with the suspenseful music? I. Oh. I hit the wrong button on my soundboard. So rather than queuing up the vintage news music, I... Yeah, I I apparently have... You know, it just... Sounds like a... You know, from Ghostbusters 1 or something like that. Anyway, moving along. Uh, From USA Today... Headline reads, FEMA, sorry photographer asked Faith shirts to be removed. This is from the uh, religion section of the USA Today. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Who wrote this? Uh, Hang on a second. See if I get a bylaw. This is an AP story. Okay. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi, the top officer for FEMA, uh, said one of the agency's videographers was absolutely wrong to ask Mississippi uh, church volunteers not to wear religious T-shirts for a video about tornado cleanup. <clears throat> yeah, oh man. Angelia, uh, Angelia Lott and Pamela Wedgworth, who are sisters, told the Associated Press that the FEMA worker videotaping the cleanup on Saturday in the small town of Ebenezer asked them 
to do on camera interviews, but requested that they change out of their T-shirts because of a Salvation Army logo. Quote, he said, we would like to ask you to change your shirt because we don't want anything faith based. Lot said Tuesday. Uh huh. Yeah, that's uh, pretty bad. Yeah, we don't want anybody to know that there's faith based people out here helping to clean up after the tornado. Uh huh. All he says was, uh, we've done this hundreds of times, Lot said. Federal Emergency Management Agency, that's FEMA, Administrator Craig Fugate said in a statement issued Monday that the man's actions in no way reflect FEMA's policies or priorities. Uh, The photographer in question was absolutely wrong, Fugate said. Lott and Wedgworth attend a small rural church in Smith County. They volunteered through a ministry of Crossgates Baptist Church in Brandon. Wedgworth said of the photographer's request, it kind of hurt my feelings. I think I made the comment. I think that's the reason we're all here. It's by faith. The sisters uh, said they changed their T-shirts and did brief on-camera interviews. Fugate also apologized to Crossgates Baptist and to the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army and Jackson television station WJTV helped sponsor the Caring for Mississippi Community Workday. Volunteers helped remove tree limbs and clean up debris from an April 24th tornado that left a 149-mile path of destruction through the state. Yeah, by the way, I my wife, um, she's really hoping to see a tornado this year, and I'm, I'm praying that no way. <laughs> Quote, we're proud of the work that is done by our volunteer and faith-based partners, and we're proud to work side-by-side with them in disaster recovery efforts across the country, Fugate said. FEMA is not the team... Uh, FEMA is only part of the team, and critical members of the team are the voluntary and faith-based organizations we work with every day. U.S. uh, Representative Greg Harbour, uh, Republican from Mississippi, is a member of Crossgates Baptist and said he was distressed to hear volunteers have been asked to hide their expression of their faith. Harper and Fugate called to assure him that FEMA does not discriminate against religious groups. Quote, I shared with him that we just didn't want to have a situation where the government would take the position that volunteers from churches had to be something different from what they were, which faith-based groups coming to help people in need, Harper said Tuesday night. Harper said Fugate told him the photographer had been fired. A FEMA spokesman would uh, not comment. So was was I mean is it was this FEMA's policy? They deny that it was. Uh, the photographer made it sound like that was their st- SOP or standard operating procedure, and uh, yet he got fired. I'm glad to hear that uh, FEMA has uh, changed their mind because the reality is is that they couldn't do what they do without the help of faith-based organizations, and having Christians have to hide their faith. Yeah, no. Um, By the way, uh, in the future, if anything like this should happen to you all out there, if you are working and you are volunteering and helping a neighbor in need and you're wearing a T-shirt that expresses that you are a Christian and that you trust in Christ and that you're there serving your neighbor out of love for the neighbor because of what Christ has done for you and somebody tells you to take your shirt off or to hide your expression of faith, you basically say to them, 
over my dead body. No way. My God gets the glory, not the government. Just keep in mind, we worship God, not the government. And when the government wants to hide the one true God, they're exalting themselves up and basically making themselves out to be a God. And we don't recognize that God to be a valid God or to be true. We recognize the one true God and the one true God who judges even the actions of those in the government. All right. Um, let's see here. Um, from the Christian Post, uh, nice uh, column by uh, uh, Dr. Al Mohler entitled, Do We Really Know Jesus? Adam Gopnik and the Gospels. Yeah, I saw this. Uh, I saw this article in the uh, in the New Yorker. I thought it was uh, interesting, and I'm glad that Dr. Mueller did a good summary of it. If you haven't seen the New Yorker article, it's worth looking up. Um, Mueller writes. He says, "This is this much is clear. Jesus just will not be ignored. Even the most secularized classes, those whom Friedrich Schleiermacher called the cultured despisers of religion." cannot leave Jesus alone. Not even the New Yorker. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's, we seem to have, we're, we're a country infested by people who uh, want to be secular humanists and postmoderns, and yet they seem to be haunted by the ghost of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> the latest edition of the New Yorker includes a review essay by Adam Gopnik in which he considers several recent books dealing with the historical Jesus, but also with the larger issue of what we can actually know about Jesus and why it matters. Gopnik, raised in, the, uh, raised in the context of secular Judaism, tells his readers that the people who read and study the Gospels for a living are nearly certain that the Gospels cannot be trusted as history. Um, no, that's just not true. <laughs> uh, there's a group of people out there group of scholars, liberal postmodern types. But the thing is, is that if you, oh man, tune in uh, this Friday. We're going to have uh, the second edition of our Friday Light, uh, part two of the historical reliability of the Gospels by D.A. Carson. We played la- part one last week. Frequent theme here. And, and also, if you want, go back to my lecture on the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture it's in the podcast archive, and I think it's also in the Cove. So if you are a podcaster, look in the podcast archives, and uh, there's a, uh, I did a webinar on the authority of Scripture. Talks about all of this. <clears throat> let's see here. Uh, Gobnik raised the, okay, evidently he's been, okay, let's see here. He tells his readers that the people who read and study the Gospels for a living are nearly certain that the Gospels cannot be trusted as history. Evidently, he has been taking a serious look at the strange world of academic New Testament scholarship where the liberal academy has virtually jettisoned any notion that the Bible was divinely inspired. Instead, they assume the Bible should be considered nothing more than a very influential example of ancient Near Eastern literature. Indeed, as represented by groups such as the Jesus Seminar, the academic consensus among the secularized scholars is that the New Testament should be assumed to be propaganda offered by the earliest Christians. Uh, The approach of the Jesus Seminar was once considered radical. Now it's basic methodology and has been assumed by liberal seminaries and divinity schools. Problem is is that this stuff is creeping into the so-called evangelical seminaries, too. Uh, the Jesus Seminar famously voted with colored beads on statements of Jesus 
from the Gospels, arguing that these statements range from very likely actually uh, said by Jesus, those are red beads, uh, to uh, not at all likely uh, said by Jesus, those are black beads. You know what? I'm hoping that on the Day of Judgment, um, those uh, liberal scholars who persist in their unbelief, uh, that Jesus on the Day of Judgment will vote against them using a black bead. The new critics of the Bible generally do not use colored beads, but they employ the same assumptions about the New Testament in general and the four Gospels in particular. They are certainly certain that Jesus did not say much of anything that is attributed to him in the Gospels. In other words, the, the, their red-letter edition of the New Testament uses very little red ink. I think pretty much they've got the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount, and that's just about it. Gopnik understands exactly what's going on. This curious criterion governs historical criticism of gospel texts. The more improbable or difficult an episode or remark is, the likelier it is to be a true record on that on the assumption that you would edit out all the weird stuff if you could and keep it only because the tradition is so strong that it can't plausibly be excluded. If Jesus says something nice, then someone is probably saying it for him. If he says something nasty, uh, then probably he really did say it. Albert Schweitzer described the tendency of such scholars to look into the well of history and see their own faces. Perhaps we should not be surprised that postmodern academics look at the Gospels and find their way to a Jesus who acts and sounds remarkably like, well, take a guess, a postmodern academic. By the way, postmodern academics, um, they're influenced by postmodernity, which, by the way, goes under the name of fascism from the 20th century, and they deny that there is a such thing as transcendent, knowable truth. Uh, Gopnik has written an elegant and substantial essay, and he covers a great deal of ground. Along the way, he draws from recent works by uh, Dira Maid McCulloch, uh, Paul Johnson, Paul Verhoeven, Bart Ehrman, ugh, L. Michael White, John Dominic Cross, and Philip Pullman and Philip Jenkins. Good night. Can we get a counter article, please? Um, one that includes like John MacArthur, uh, I mean, John Warwick Montgomery, uh, Craig Evans. I mean, so, <clears throat> McCulloch writes, as a historian who is no longer a believing Christian, Paul uh, Verhoeven, Hollywood director of movies like RoboCop, Total Recall and Basic Instinct, has just written a book that is right out of the Jesus seminar pattern. Bart Ehrman and John Dominic Crossan may well be uh, the two most influential scholars of recent years, whose passion appears to be stripping the New Testament of any supernaturalism. It may be that Marcus Borg should be added to the Ehrman and Crossan to make a trio of the most influential gospel critics. Um, hang on a second here. I got to flip over to the next page. Um, Philip Pullman, known for his uh, for the his Dark Materials trilogy, and his ardent atheism, has taken his own shot at retelling the Gospels. Uh, Phil Phil Jenkins uh, joins those arguing that the Church's confessional formula about Jesus was established at Nicaea in the uh, year 325 in the service of imperial politics and not theology. Among those mentioned by Gopnik. Only Paul Johnson writes as a believer, and in his uh, case, as a traditionalist Roman Catholic. You know, boy, that's kind of interesting that Gottnick, uh, that's quite a motley crew. I mean, that would be kind of like asking, you know, could if you know, basically going to uh, Mao Zedong, um, Lenin, Stalin, and Hitler, and asking them to uh, write a history book about the founding of the United States. I'm sure that uh, those guys have no axes to grind and that um, 
they would give us an accurate picture of how the United States of America came into existence. I mean, Mao Zedong, I'm sure if he were writing history about the United States, it would all be spot on. And, you know, Lenin and Stalin and Marx and, uh, you know, those guys, I'm sure that, you know, you get what I'm saying. Gopnik brings his own expertise as an author to his essays. He sees what many of the authors he considers also see, that the Gospels are richly textured literature embedded with many surprises. As he notes in the four Gospels, Jesus' morality has a brash sidewise indifference to conventional ideas of goodness. His pet style blends the uh, epigrammic with the enigmatic. Furthermore, there is a wild uh, wild gaiety about Jesus' moral teaching that still leaps off the page. So who was Jesus? Jesus clearly isn't a hedonist or an Epicurean, but he clearly isn't an aesthetic either. He feeds the multitudes rather than instructing them how uh, how to go without. That is a powerful and revealing assessment and one that fits the actual words of the gospel. Good, Yeah, that's a great point. But in the end, it's clear that Gottnick sides with the skeptics. He seems to read the Gospels in the same vein as Crossan and Ehrman and to read church history like McCullough and Jenkins. He also likes at least some of what he finds in Philip Pullman and Paul Verhoeven. And the Jesus he finds in the Gospels is not the Son of God or Savior. Uh, he He remains nonetheless fascinated by the figure of Jesus. He likes the path taken by the open-minded theologians who see the Gospels as offering an antique mystery into a story open only as the tomb is open with a mystery left inside, never to be entirely explored or explained. Believing Christians will read Adam Gopnik's essay with a mixture of interest and grief. If nothing else, his essay, along with almost all the books he mentions, reveals where we must go if we surrender the divine inspiration of the New Testament. Once we deny that the Bible is the inspi- is inspired by God and totally true and to be trusted in every way, we are left with the Bible as nothing more than a literary project. Thus, the Bible is re- reduced to a fascinating example of ancient Near Eastern literature. The Gospels are reduced to a mutually dependent literary in- inventions, and Paul's writings are easily dismissed as the rantings of a sexually repressed man fueled by a c- convert's zeal. If those characterizations ring familiar, uh, you must feel right at home at the meeting of the Society of Biblical Literature. The postmodern reduction of the Bible leaves us with no real knowledge of Jesus. Philip Pullman's version uh, is just as likely as Paul Johnson's. Uh, just make your own choice. In other words, Adam Gopnik's essay is a brilliant reminder of why our presuppositions about the Bible are so important. If we try to read the Bible as just an ancient book, we will have no real knowledge of Jesus, just an open-ended mystery. If, on the other hand, the Bible is truly the word of God, we do know who Jesus is and that we can and what it can mean for us, nothing less than the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. The Christian faith stands or falls on the truthfulness of the four Gospels. There is no way around this fact. Our choice is nothing less than between the Jesus who merely fascinates and the Jesus who saves. Great piece. I'll put a link up to this piece as well as to uh, Gopnik's uh, New Yorker uh, article in the Cove. Uh, So those of you who are members of the Cove will have access to it. Now we're up on our first break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. 
Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes, uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon, that's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Uh, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. 
<clears throat> well, well I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see here. Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Uh, uh, well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop, and, uh, well, we're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website... PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. The New Testament Gospels were written by eyewitnesses. They give us very accurate, correct information about Jesus Christ, his teaching, and his life. To deny that is to basically cut yourself off from salvation itself. Just want to let you know. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and contributions to Fighting for the Faith in order to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says, join our crew. The other says, donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month to Fighting for the Faith. Important stuff. Mucho importante. When we get to 1,000 listeners, then uh, we will... Well, at least on a monthly basis, meet our minimum expenses. So that's kind of important because, you know, well, you know, paying bills is, well, we got to do that in order to stay on the air. So, uh, of course, visit fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the uh, join our crew button. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount as to how much you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post. Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. You know, I've come to realize um, I talk with my hands even when I'm doing radio, and I fidget with things on my desk. 
It's true. So, I mean, if you hear me, you know, and you, you, I'm fidgety. I, I get fidgety. I got to overcome my fidgetiness. <sighs> Maybe I fidget when I feel like people are getting schnookered. Yeah, just anyway. All right, Leonard Sweet. Uh, he is uh, the postmodern missional guy over at uh, the Leadership Network. He's a doctor. It's Dr. Leonard Sweet. He's a Wesleyan. And he's also, I would think, very liberal, very. I think he's bought into post-modernity big time. And uh, there's been a flap about uh, his appearance at a um, Calvary Chapel worship conference. And uh, the the word on the street is, is that he, he got uninvited or asked not to speak um, because of stuff that he's written in the past. And he wrote a piece called A Response to Recent Misunderstandings. And uh, the uh, the guy who runs the Phoenix Preacher website, I think, was behind uh, at least helping to motivate uh, Len Sweet to write this article. And I read the piece, and I thought it was an example of doublespeak. And I'll explain as I read it. Uh, so here's uh, – let me read this piece to you by Leonard Sweet called A, Re- a Response to Recent Mi- Misunderstandings. says, Len Sweet, being a follower of Jesus requires two things of me. One – a desire to love Jesus with all of my being, law, a devoted humility to please God. No, if, 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 ands, or buts, or a comma between the please and God, my dream is to render both, to render both faithfully every day. Okay. Notice the law-based thing about following God, not having faith and trusting in him. Anyway, we continue. He says, but, Jesus following in God-pleasing, not people-pleasing, can sometimes lead me up a hill, often carrying a cross. It can mean being silent when accused, even refusing to defend myself or push back when my faith or character is unjustly attacked by brothers and sisters in the faith. Nothing hurts more than being shot by friendly fire. I know all about that, and I yeah, it hurts. Yet I recognize that God can use my critics to humble me, teach me, and transform me, and in so doing, revitalize and empower my ministry even more than before. So despite the confusion and harm such onslaughts can seem to be either to me or to others around me, I welcome them from the sovereign hand of God, and I'm thankful that they exist, especially in that they can help me clarify the tenets of my faith and to reiterate my mission and ministry to others. I take my commitment to those whom I may influence by my ministry very seriously. And it's for this reason that I pause now to address some issues of faith that are dear to my heart and important to the many Christ followers of Jesus who follow, who look to me for guidance, hope, and inspiration as we journey together in the path of Christ. Oh, I mean, is it me or is some of this language just kind of like creepy? First, I thank the many of you who have been kind enough to approach me with questions and queries on the misinterpretations of my theology by various ODM groups. ODM stands for Online Discernment Ministries, and ODMs, I mean, that's somewhere above, uh, It's that in the social scale of the way many people think of ODMs, um, the, the prostitutes are down at the bottom. ODMs are just above them, and then tax collectors and people who work for the IRS are uh, maybe above uh, above the um, 
ODMs. Yeah, those pesky people who, you know, have blogs and actually ask questions and quote people and say, wait a second, is that Christian? Yeah, <clears throat> scum of the earth, apparently. Uh, he, he, he continues, he says, I also know that many of you have read many of my almost 40 books, hundreds of articles, thousands of sermons, and have therefore been confused by some of the comments made regarding my faith and ministry. I thank you for your faithfulness and integrity. This short treatise, therefore, is for you in order, hopefully, to put to rest any about uh, any your, of your concerns, your confusion, or your sadness at the false teacher accusa- accusations leveled my way. Second, let me now take the opportunity to address some of these accusations, to correct where misunderstandings have occurred, concur if called for, and to ad- ad- adamantly restate when gross inaccuracies have altered the meaning of my writings and evangelism. Let me first say that for me, New Age uh, rhymes with sewage. I have such a low threshold for Gaia worship that in the middle of the movie Avatar, I had to break, I had to take a break. So severe was my attack of uh, Gaia-ria. In fact, I have challenged New Age sensibilities, which are known as as integral spirituality or enlightenment, uh, not New Age, uh, for the way in which they godify the self and expect others to orbit in a you you universe y o u universe that revolves around them as if they were a god. The secret of the universe is not that you can have life your way. The secret is that Jesus is the way. I agree. Jesus did not come to make us divine. Jesus came to show us how to be authentically what God made us to. be be human you see that see there's kind of that i've got a problem with that jesus came to show us how to be authentically what god made us to be show us how to uh, i thought jesus christ came to die on the cross for our sins and he told the apostles to go and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in jesus name you know salvation by grace alone through faith alone by Christ's work alone, and then the sanctifying work of the Spirit that proceeds from that regeneration through the proclamation of the gospel. I, I don't, I, I can't think of. Well, maybe there is, you know, major passages that talk about Jesus coming to show us how to be authentically what God made us to be. I, I hear this language, and I think, when did this become Christian teaching? Anyway. Sweet continues, he says, because of the culture in which we live, I have encouraged the daily ritual of starting the day by standing in front of a mirror and saying, God is God and I am not. Okay. um, I recommend starting the day off in prayer and reading God's word. Um, I care less about looking at myself in the mirror. I mean, I try to keep my hair as short as possible so that I can spend as little time in the bathroom as humanly possible. And I shave only when I need to. Let me continue. He says, he says, I wrote a book uh, 20 years ago called Quantum Spirituality and a few years ago made it available as a free download on my website. Back when New Age was a movement, I was inspired by the brilliance of the Apostle Paul in evangelizing pagans to show how even New Agers like atheists or other non-Christian groups could be evangelized for Orthodox Christianity if only we learn how to speak to them. For example, uh, the uh, the recovery movement language of higher power or higher consciousness can be turned into Christ consciousness. 
instead of new age, we might adopt uh, adopt and adapt the new light language of Charles Finney, the founder of modern urban revivalism. See, there's a problem there. Again, Finney uh, blatantly I mean, Pelagian heretic. Uh, the the new light language of Charles Finney, the founder of modern urban revivalism and the leader of the Second Great Awakening, who called his followers new light evangelists because they used new methods like altar calls and hymns to bring 19th century Americans to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Yeah, Finney basically said that he didn't need the Holy Spirit to convert people. They just need the right methods. Uh, let me continue. Um, Sweet says, would I write the same book today? No. Would I say some things differently? Yes. I started working on the book in my late 20s. I hope I'm older and wiser now, but this was the first book to examine the challenges confronting Christianity as it entered into the uncharted waters of new post-Gutenberg, post-Christian, post-modern culture. And I quoted and referenced New Age thinkers who seem to get this culture transition better than the church while uh, than the church did while I outlined avenues of approach in their minds and their hearts by quoting and referencing people outside of the faith I'm do- doing nothing more than Peter Paul and Jesus himself did Paul circumcised Timothy and made a vow in the temple some Christians uh, could have easily interpreted these actions as proof that Paul was a legalist but he was simply being a Jew to the Jew speaking their language uh, to get their hearing, yet not compromising the gospel at the same time. Now, um, one of these ODMs, um, uh, they have a website entitled Deception in the Church, and a uh, gal by the name of, uh, maybe a guy, but Sandy Simpson, back in March of this year, compiled a list of um, quotes that were relevant from Leonard Sweet's book, Quantum Spirituality. From page 250, we read, there be treasures, unitary thinking, the highest level of understanding reality opens us up to a wider sensory realm and mystical dimension of the divine. It also heals the divisions that separate us one from another and life's highest values Two, wholeness unites, not eliminates opposites, bringing them into dynamic balance uh, the coming together of earth and water, air and fire, through the merger of the Atenan sensibility, Atenas, the hugger of the ground from which uh, came his strength, with the Herculean sensibility, Hercules, the master of the air and fire, who defeated Atenas by lifting him off the ground, the discovery of the euphoric state of wholeness will prove to be the highest form of ecstasis. That's a quote from Leonard Sweet, page 250, Quantum Spirituality. What on earth is unitary thinking in the high? Uh, I mean, in this article that Len just wrote, he's basically saying he's hijacking New Age and postmodern terms and filling them with Christian meaning. But what I just read here is like, what? Let me read another one from page 253 of Quantum Spirituality. We read, Spirituality refers, first of all, to the universal gift of aliveness that exists within all religions and outside of religions. It breathes out the air that inspires. Those who have been inspired with the aliveness by the kiss of God will conspire 
to kiss others into coming alive to the spiritual dimensions of existence. Inspire means to breathe in. Conspire means to breathe together. Conspiracy enters by the same door as spirituality. A world gagging on smog and smut needs to breathe uh, needs a breath of fresh air. The new light movement begins as a fresh air conspiracy of aliveness. But it is more than that. Spiritual consciousness can be something greater than aesthetics or aliveness. The Bible tells us that the human species has been twice kissed by the divine. What Christian doctrine is being taught there? Um, What biblical doctrine is being taught there? He says he would say things differently. And I'm sitting there going, what is he saying? How is this sound Christian doctrine? How is this sound biblical teaching? Another one uh, from Quantum Spirituality, page 38. A a Cosmian incarnating the cells of a new body, new lights will function as transitional vessels uh, through which transforming energy can renew the divine image in the world moving postmoderns from one state of embodiment to another. Huh? From page 56 of Quantum Spirituality, postmodern culture is is hungry for intimacy of psycho-spiritual transformations. It wants a re-enchantment of nature. It's aware of its ecstasy deprivation. It wants to know God by heart. It It wants to light an inner fire the circulating force of divine energies flowing in and flowing out, the primal scream of postmodern spirituality is for primal experiences of God. Yeah, that's probably true. That sounds like a descriptive paragraph. Um, the problem is, is that the Bible doesn't promise postmoderns these ecstatic experiences. So the gist of this is, is that I'm looking at this going, okay, wait a second. If he's older and wiser, he says he would say things differently. Um, but what I'm reading from these quotes, and I had a conversation with uh, Bob DeWay about uh, Leonard Sweet's postmodern quantum spirituality book. And, and DeWay basically says, oh, no, this it's a very, very dangerous and seductive work, and it doesn't teach biblical Christianity at all. And I, and I bow to his uh, expertise. I haven't read it. I haven't read the book. But the quotes I've seen make, basically make me go, wait a second. If his claim is is that he's teaching biblical Christianity by hijacking New Age terms, um, my, just in what I've seen, I'm not seeing biblical Christianity being taught. So I've, I've got a problem here. Um, now, let me give you – here's the deal, though. This is not repentance. There was a time when I believed in the rapture. Okay, I was a, a pre-trib uh, rapture guy. All right, Dave Hunt, you know, I, I, Dave Hunt and me were like buddies. I mean, we didn't know each other, but I mean, the, 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 that just to give you an example, I was a down the line pre-trib rapturist. And after studying that doctrine, I've come to the conclusion it's not biblical. And so when I refer back to, you know, conversations I've had with people about the rapture when I used to believe it, I have to tell them, I no longer believe that. I repudiated it, and I have repented of it, and here's what I believe the Bible teaches about it and why I, I think the Bible doesn't support it. Okay, Now, that's repentance. I've repented of teaching the doctrine of the rapture. Uh, 
Leonard here is saying that he would say things differently, but I'm not convinced he was teaching biblical Christianity in quantum spirituality. Let me continue. Um, he says, because I quote someone does not mean I agree with everything that person ever wrote. I agree. I quote other people myself. That doesn't mean I agree with everything. In fact, the last article that I wrote, uh, Fascism Reborn, I quote Peter Drucker. Okay, I quote the 1939 Peter Drucker. Do I agree with the the you know the late 90s, early 2000 Peter Drucker? You bet your life I don't. But I quoted him, but that doesn't mean that I approve of everything he's ever said. So, yeah, I agree with that principle. Paul quoted pagan philosophers in the book of Acts. Yeah, he quoted them against the Athenians. Quantum spirituality was the first book that broke up the text on a page and inserted sidebars and images and quotes, a feature which is now the norm for most books. Some of the quotes I chose were meant to provide contrasting positions to my argument, some to buttress my arguments, and some even to mock my argument. Okay. The key consideration to whether I quoted someone was not do I agree with him, but does this quote energize the conversation? Built by association, uh, guilt by association is ex- is intellectually dis- uh, re- uh, reputable and injurious to the whole body of Christ. No, I agree. Guilt by association is a form of a logical fallacy. Okay. It is doubly ironic that I'm under attack for being emergent or a leader in the emerging movement when I am known in emerging uh, church circles as one of its severest critics. In fact, four years ago, Relevant Magazine hosted and published a conversation between Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, and myself where my include-me-out critiques of the emerging church were aired and discussed. Um, In panel discussions, I've looked Brian McLaren in the eyes and lamented the unbearable wrongness of Brian. The gospel is not simply about principles of justice, but the person of Jesus, the very Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, good, some uh, who came to die for our sins, descended into hell, rose again on the third day, and is now seated with the Father uh, while he lives his uh, resurrection life and through us by the power of the Spirit. I elaborate this, uh, elaborate this more in the book I co-wrote with Frank uh, Viola, The Jesus Manifesto, which, by the way, I'm, I'm going to be reading that and uh, offering a critique on it. Uh, if wanting to be a Jesus manifest is what is, it means to be a mystical, uh, then I plead guilty. You're a Jesus manifest? For I do believe in the present tense of Jesus. I do believe that Christ is alive. I do believe that we serve a risen Savior. Good. I do believe that he's in the world today. Okay. I can still call Brian McLaren and others my friends while critiquing their theology. The emerging church is a young movement grown old very quickly because, one, it's prone to cause political ruckus when it should be rocking the world for Christ. Two, it's missing a hunger and longing for the salvation of others, a passion for others to fall in love with Jesus, and the sense that there are things at stake here that have both earthly and eternal consequences. It appears more and more to be a new evangelical form of the old uh, 70s liberation theology. It makes uh, the mistake of separating the person of Jesus from his teachings. It deconstructs everything, including historic creeds of the church and the divine inspiration of the entire biblical canon. It revels in spreading doubt more than faith. That's a great list, Len. Absolutely. Isn't that the whole nature of post-modernity? We continue. The founder of my tribe, John Wesley, found himself under attack by discerning ministers and ministries for being a Moravian sympathizer and enthusiast and for having a flaky theology of the spirit. 
Even though Wesley critiqued many aspects of the Mor- of Moravian theology, these discerning ministries felt Wesley had not condemned them vigorously enough and that he was thus a deceiver and a danger to the Orthodox faith. I do think that uh, that Wesley was a great evangelist, and, he, and his doctrine of sanctification practically destroys uh, the biblical doctrine of justification, just so you know. If you don't believe me, read Wesley's book, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. In response, Wesley issued a public letter in which he professed to live peaceably with all men and was not prone to stir up controversy or defend himself. He especially did not want to engage those with a hair trigger for heresy, which was unbecoming of someone who followed Jesus. If Wesley ever felt moved to enter into a dispute, he stated it would only be uh, with men of understanding who actually read his writings and were capable of honest theological dispute because he sensed his discerning opponent was a person of goodwill whose attacks were not slanderous and splintering, but temperate and genuinely concerned with strengthening the body of Christ, he as he as issued a lengthy reply. There was and is enough of an unchristian culture in the church. Wesley did not want to add to it with his response. His only desire was to make the church more Christian. It is in this spirit that I also write this response to all of the lovers of God and loyal followers of Jesus that I have come to know through my ministry and the, and the ministry and hold in the highest regard. I hope, therefore, I have done nothing with all this, uh, nothing with this treatise to divide the body in any way, but only to continue to nourish it as always my aim and task as Jesus followers. If I have, please forgive me. I also ask for correction from anyone who finds something that I have written that misrepresents the text and traditions of our faith. And I think that would probably be a better way to go. Uh, for I am passionate about the historic creeds of the faith, apostolic, Nicene, Chalcedon, etc., and the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. That's good. While my roots are Wesleyan, I affirm the Reformers taught about the centrality of Christ, the glory of God, and the truth of Scripture. As Augustine put it first, but Wesley made it famous, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, but in all things love. I collect... Now, this is the part where I just went, what? Listen to this last paragraph really carefully, because... Um, This is where I'm going, okay, this is weird. I collect Black Forest carvings and stories. Black Forest is in Germany. Above the door to my study is carved a sign that reads in German, peace and joy to all who enter. But I almost carved another sign in its place. It was reputedly carved above the front door of an old German schoolmaster. Dante, Luther, Goethe, Bart, and Heidegger live here. Heidegger. Bart and Heidegger. Bart, neo-Orthodox theologian, denies that the Bible is the, is the word of God, but says that the Bible contains the word of God. It becomes the word of God almost in a very postmodern sense as you engage the text. Okay. Heidegger. We've talked about Heidegger a lot here. So this here's the deal. I'm reading this last paragraph going, okay, listen, I've heard from enough reputable people that uh, there's, there's something off, seriously off, in Len Sweet's writings, in, in his ideas about Christianity. And here he says he almost carved a sign and put it over his, the door to a study that said that Bart and Heidegger lived there. And he says... None of them lived there, of course, but this old schoolmaster had so lived in communion with their ideas and ideals that it seemed as if they shared his humble home. 
isn't that what he was saying about himself? He said he almost carved that and put it over his door. Why? Because he was in so much communion with Barth and Heidegger that he felt that they lived there. That's him talking about himself. He says, however, I only want to write one thing over the uh, the doorpost of my heart and life, and that's that Jesus Christ lives here. Forgiveness of sins, repentance, sound doctrine. I'm not hearing any of that. And uh, from what I know of Leonard Sweet, um, again, he's one of these guys that uh, I fear that he might have bought into postmodernity. If he's in such communion with Barton Heidegger that he almost put a door over his study to the sense that they live there, then we've got some problems. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And as much as I appreciate the spirit in which Leonard Sweet wrote this response, it's raised more questions for me than answers. And it was evasive enough regarding some very fundamental things that um, I, I feel that the only thing that is really responsible for me to do is to uh, start reading some Leonard Sweet and doing some comparative work to see if he what he really teaches is in accord with the Word of God. That he uh, is in such communion with Barton Heidegger uh, and would write that? I mean, that is troubling, troubling. Now, guilt by association is, you know, that's you, you don't want to do that. But at the same time, if somebody says to you that they're in such communion with Heidegger, uh, we've we've got some problems. We've got some problems. Uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. I'll have to dig a little bit more, because something something is off. S- something just ain't jiving and gelling here. So, all right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. When we get back, we're going to hear a deceptive sermon about overcoming a spirit of deception. Yeah, I I don't even try to figure out how to do the math on that. We'll be right back. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. 
But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877-246-1511. Again, that's 877-246-1511. The good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two, Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're going to preach about breaking a spirit of deception, um, then um, make sure that you don't deceive people in the process. It kind of defeats the whole purpose of the sermon, if you um, know what I mean. Uh, Let's uh, cue up our music here. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Our sermon today that we'll be reviewing comes to us from Summit Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Pastor Pat Schatzline. Now, he has appeared here on the program before. And the name of the sermon is Breaking a Spirit of Deception. By the way... The Bible mentions and talks about deception. It talks about false doctrine. It talks about apostasy. Those who are rebelling against God within the visible church. So it's not as if the Bible doesn't have anything clear to say about the spirit of deception. Deception, by the way, is when somebody's teaching something false about God. They are deceiving you. Uh, 
the, the cinnamon, cinnamon, the synonym that we used earlier was schnooker. So we could call this breaking the spirit of schnookering. But the thing is, if you're going to talk about and preach against deception or the spirit of deception, don't you think that that would mean that you weren't being de deceptive in the process? I mean, it doesn't, yeah. Yeah, I think you get what I'm saying. Uh, so without any further ado, here is uh, Pastor Pat Schatz line, Breaking the Spirit of Deception. God is doing. This is part three of God of this city. In fact, I'm preaching a word this morning simply titled Breaking the Spirit of Deception. Can I share that? Yeah, come on, bring it, man. Reminded of. Yeah, that's right. Just bring it, man. Just bring it. Reminded of... Uh... A story I heard where a young man was working on his father's house out on a farm out in the country. Farm hands around and the young man is up on the roof. There's no one, see, no one really around him. And all of a sudden, as he's working on the roof, he slips. And he's hanging on for dear life on the eaves of this two-story old house. He's hanging on and he's screaming help, but nobody heard him. He could hold on no longer. As he began to scream help, some of the farmhands were far off, took off running. His father took off running to get to him. But he couldn't, they couldn't get to him in time. And he fell. When they got around to the side of the house expecting to see a broken neck or broken leg or back or neck, skull fracture. They all run, and as they look, there on the ground is a dead lamb. And as the young man standing there looking over the lamb, he looks at his father and he Um, I need to just put a little disclaimer here. This story about the guy and the lamb, yeah, this ain't in the Bible. Just, I want to let you know, in case you're thinking... Um, where's the story about, you know, the guy who almost died in the whole lamb thing? Yeah, it's not in there. It's, yeah, it's, he's, I don't know where this is from. He said, the lamb broke my fall. Here's what I want to say to you today. The lamb broke my fall. I shouldn't be here, but the lamb broke my fall. And what you've got to realize as I move into this word, I want to take you on a journey for a moment. I want to take you to a place in just a moment. But look at Isaiah 58, verse 9. It says this. Then when you pray, God will answer. You will call out for help. And I'll say, here I am. Get rid of all your unfair practices. Quit blaming victims. Quit gossiping about other people's sins. I love the Message Bible. It doesn't play politics. Okay. Out of context from the Message Bible. Isn't this about breaking a spirit of deception? Yeah. Politics, it says it like it is. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Sat on a conference call this week with some of the purest leaders in America. Great. What? 
He read from Isaiah from the message paraphrase. No sooner did he finish quoting from the passage, not not even taking into consider the historical context, who the text was written to, what it was about. Just boom, he finished it. Now on, I was I was sat in on a conference call with some of the most the godliest leaders in in America. Oh boy, men pastoring thousands evangelists, missionaries, and we sat on the phone and we began to weep as we're planning out a conference called Back to the Upper Room. And all we're doing is coming together in Dallas for three days in August just to pray. Not to hand out business cards, not to see who can preach, just to cry out to God. There is a stirring in the atmosphere across America, and much may have to do with the political system. It may have to do with what's going on with Israel. It may have to do with what's going on with Iran. It may have to do that they've shut down Times Square four times in the last two weeks because of worried about bombs. But I'm telling you this, whatever it has to take, whatever has to take place, I am ready to see a nation cry out to God. Are you with me? And I believe God is not done with Birmingham. There's a rising up. The people who are desperate. I saw it last Wednesday night. I saw it in a regular Wednesday night prayer meeting. People crying out. And what you've got to understand, there's a true sense of the supernatural about to break out. And you know, you've heard me talk about Vulcan. You've heard me talk about the Temple Vestal. You've heard me talk about that mountain called Eternal Security. You've heard me talk about that. You've heard it. I heard that in Girlfriends on Monday night, it was packed in here. Women crying out. Karen had to shut it down at 9 o'clock and say, okay, you've got to go home. Because there's a desperation in the atmosphere. But I love what Acts 1.8 says. It says, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The word witness there means to put, be put on display as a martyr. Martureo. Um, it, it means witness. It means to witness. Now, the word martyr comes from that Greek word, martyreo. It, hang on a second here. <sighs> Acts chapter 1. I need to do a little biblical work here and clean some of this stuff up. This guy's all over the board. And uh, the problem is, is that I, I'm not hearing a coherent doctrine, a coherent theology. I'm just hearing kind of subjective made up stuff. And uh, he's allegorizing text and applying texts that uh, just don't seem to make any sense. Um, hang on a second here. Acts 1. Um want to look that up in the Greek while we're at it. Hang on a second here. Okay, Greek New Testament. Um, so he, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when the Lord had come down, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Who was Jesus talking to at that time? Who was going to be his witnesses? Uh, me and you or somebody else? Go with somebody else. It was definitely the apostles. So the people that were present, he said to them that they would be his witnesses and hang on a second here right uh, but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my uh yeah uh so martus that's the uh, that's the greek word i'm looking at. not martus it's the noun form of it you will be my witness 
my witness says. And um, here's the idea is, is that when somebody is a witness, okay, in this case, they're witnesses to Christ, to his death, to his resurrection. That's what to, to his teaching. That's what is being said here. The ultimate witness of uh, of Christ is somebody who is martyred. That means they lose their life for the profession of their faith. Okay, but th- that's what it came to mean here in in Acts one. This is not implying that uh, that that all of them are going to die. Some of them didn't uh, didn't give the ultimate witness by dying for the faith. Many did. So breaking the spirit of deception um, would require the pastor to correctly handle God's word and to teach sound doctrine and to not monkey with the text and to actually teach it correctly. He's not doing that right now. So um, he's deceiving while speaking out against the spirit of deception. Lovely. To lay your life down. To walk in and say, I will die. Let me show you this real quickly as I get into this. I'm going to take you to a place called Samaria. What is Samaria? You may remember it in 2 Kings chapter 7, the place where they were surrounded by the enemy, the Arameans, and, 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 and they began to, uh, eat each other. They were eating dung. Dung, dove's dung is what they were eating, which represents what's left over after the Holy Spirit leaves. Okay, allegory here. Uh, Not good. They were eating donkey head, which represents man's mind. So let me see if I got this straight. Dove's dung equals what you eat after the Holy Spirit leaves, and donkey head equals man's mind. It's imaginative, but uh, how do you know it doesn't uh, represent, you know, something different? Like the sun, the moon, the stars, or, you know, something else outrageous. That's the thing about allegory. Things representing things. He's just making stuff up. That interpretation doesn't exist in Scripture. He's claiming that these represent those things, yet there's no proof that they do. If you remember, there was four lepers that stood up and said, Why sit we sit here till we die? Living outside the gates of the city as they began to march. Bible says God amplified their marching and the Arameans thought armies were coming towards them, but it was just four lepers whose flesh had melted. And if you really want to take over a city, your flesh has got to die. And you got to say, why city we here till we die? What if I don't want to take over a city? What if I'm perfectly happy, you know, just doing what I, I don't want to take over a city. I just want to preach the gospel and let God do the, taking over right i i have a hard enough time managing my diet i don't need to manage anyone else and take them over die but look what he says in acts i want you to i want to take you there in just a moment i want to give you four phases of a citywide move of god many of you remember four phases of a citywide it's going to take a long time to get through this sermon what Really, the Bible talks about the four phases of a citywide, you know, whatever. When I preached about the, the Good Samaritan, 
who the Samaritans were. The Samaritans, we know what it says in, in over in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Who were the Samaritans? They were the enemies of the Jews. They had taken over the land in 586 B.C. These people have been traitors throughout history. Read the Old Testament. It mentions Samaria more than, uh, almost more than any other city except Jerusalem. It's a place of, where Alexander the Great went in and a, a group of people that could never make up their mind who they were going to serve. The Bible says they worshipped in the mountains. But look at Acts, the 8th chapter. Persecution has broke out. Write this down, number one. The four phases of a citywide move of God. Persecution breaks out, leading to desperation. <laughs> Again, this is a sermon about breaking the spirit of deception, but uh, he seems to be... Um flirting with it or has completely swallowed the false holy spirit of deception here i do good night persecution will break out leading to desperation look at acts chapter one or chapter eight verse one and saul was there giving approval to his death now this is before saul became paul saul means well known of men he changed his name to paul which means of little or no stature He's traveling around. He's got papers in his hands. He thinks he's doing the will of God, killing off cult people, killing off what he considers cult, which is really the Christians. Watch this. This is just before he would get knocked off his horse. Bible says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. And this is right after Stephen dies, by the way. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Everybody say persecution. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Still with me, right? Those who had been scattered, everybody say scattered, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. What is that? Everyone say scattered. Huh? Yeah, there's Samaria again, that place. And proclaimed Christ there, the evangelist Philip. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. I love this. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. You're still with me, right? So number two, desperation leads to deliverance and joy. So there was a great joy in the city. Number three, when deliverance comes, it is not discriminatory. I think sometimes we think God's only going to move in our church. I think sometime we think, well, that old group over there, you know, they've done nothing. They're... Where are these four city-taking things? Where are they taught in the Bible again? Clearly, I just am not. Uh. You know, sitting Christians hatch hypocrites, and that's a church full of hypocrites over there, and there's just eggshells laying everywhere because they don't do anything, and, boy, they haven't done anything for their city. They didn't show up at dog days. They didn't. They drove by and honked. No. I believe that when God moves, he raises the water level of the Holy Spirit in the city, not just one church. It's not by one denomination. I'm... The water level of the... I believe, he said. I, that, those were the... Where does it say anything about the Holy Spirit or, you know, the water level of the... <sighs> I'm not pulling out my ordination card when I walk into heaven and say, I belong to this group and I get a bigger mansion. Still with me, right? Now watch, it goes on to say, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and, and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. Watch. 
They followed him because he amazed them a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. I love it when God goes in and breaks the curse of a witch. Number four, write this down. You have to understand that when God begins to move, go ahead and bring up number four for me if you wouldn't. Number four, revival brings confrontation for the greater freedom of all. What do you mean? Verse eight. <clears throat> Not sure where this list is taught in the Bible. Um, but then again, dove poop equals what's left after the Holy Spirit leaves. 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the hands of the apostles, and I skipped over for just a moment because the Bible says he gets saved. Then the Bible says that Peter and John came down to help with the revival. Because anytime you have an evangelist, you have to have pastors follow up to pastor that revival. Watch. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay may lay hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. He tried to buy it. Now watch what Peter says, because Peter, Simon Peter at this point, is the pastor of the New Testament church. And what you have to understand is, Simon Peter does not have a whole lot of patience. Simon Peter has walked through a journey of falling down and getting up, falling down and getting up. And an authority is on his life now. And it started in Acts chapter 2 when he finally stood up for something. And preach the gospel on Solomon's porch. Solomon's colonnade. Oh, boy. Yeah, uh, kind of making my point. If you're going to preach against deception, make sure that you're not deceptive while doing it. So Peter looks at him and basically says, back to hell with you and your money. He basically says, don't you try to buy a move of God. Now watch, goes on to say, Peter answered, may, you, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with your money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then, wait a minute, he already prayed a prayer. He already got saved. Folks, after salvation must come deliverance. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes you're like me. It's over many. I thought that after regeneration came, you know, sanctification, the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Deliverance? Many years where God continually takes things out of your life. For those of you that got saved and suddenly were able to take off your demon shirt and put on this beautiful white shirt, then we need to let you go ahead and go to heaven. Because if a lot of us are understanding that sanctification set apart is a process, you don't get free. You may get delivered of some things immediately, but there's a process, changing of mind. It's like I always say about my family. You can take the family out of Detroit, but it takes a while to get the Detroit out of the family. Okay, you still with me? I don't think I ever was with you. What does Detroit have to do with it? Now watch, it goes on to say, verse 25, when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Oh, let me, let me give it back, verse 24. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. He comes to a confrontation because Peter, the pastor, is now in his face. He's not just listening to a great sermon from an evangelist. He now has a pastor that says, get free or you're in trouble. Verse 25, when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord. Get free or you're in trouble. Yeah, listen. Oh, man. 
Lord Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many, many Samaritan villages. What you have to understand is, I want to deputize you today. I want to make you into some Simons. Oh, what do you mean? Yeah, seriously, uh, explain that one. Or rather, some Phillips. Because we got a lot of Simons in the church. A lot of people that think there's certain ways you have figured out. You read this book, Eight Ways to Walking in Power. You've read this book, Ten Ways to, to Pray in the Spirit. And God says, I want you to understand you can't purchase that on a shelf. I want to put some things inside of you. So rather than being a Simon, why don't we become Phillips? Why don't we begin to walk? Uh, I don't want to be a Phillips or a Simon or a regular flathead screwdriver. I, what is this? Walk and carrying that thing out. Number two, write this down in our main points. The power of perception means looking back. What do you mean? Do you remember Samaria? Look at John chapter 4. Remember the Samaritan woman sitting at Jacob's well? Who was Jacob? He was the deceiver. The Bible says Jesus comes up at the noon hour. This filthy woman, this dirty woman who's had five husbands and living with another man, a woman that the disciples are ticked off that he would even talk to. The disciples went to town to get some food. All of a sudden they walk, uh, Jesus walks up to a well. There's a woman there at the heat of day when everybody else is napping and he, she's getting water because she can't go to the well because she's a second class citizen. And Jesus walks up, sits down on Jacob's well because I, I really, I need a GPS device to help me navigate this sermon. How did we end up there? Oh, Jesus will always go and sit down on the deceiver to get your attention. (laughs) What? Where do you start to untangle this mess? And the Bible says all of a sudden she starts drawing water and Jesus says, give me a drink. And she says, sir, do you know who you're talking to? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We're supposed to hate each other. And Jesus said, if you knew who asked you, you would not even be asking. You'd be asking for living water. Jesus begins to minister to this dirty woman. The Bible says she gets so rocked by him. Jesus even asked her in John chapter 4 verse 20 about the Samaritans. And look what she says. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And and you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. In other words, they worship unknown gods. Go through the Old Testament. You'll see constantly raising up statues to Baal. They were constantly giving in to the cravings of their flesh. An immediate fix to my issue. He's not speaking, so let me do something down here. That will represent my miracle. You're not doing your thing. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to embezzle a little money. You're not moving in my marriage. So apparently you want me to just go cheat on my wife. Oh, am I going to get in your stuff today? Is this okay? So they worship something they did not know. We worship what we do not know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. What do you mean? Listen to me closely. The power of perception. Then the Bible says, leaving her jar behind, she goes to her city of Samaria, that ooh, ooh, nasty place, the ghetto. Oh, man. Is this just stream of consciousness? What is this? 
And the entire city, all the men come out because she says, I have found the Messiah. And the entire city gets rocked by God. So no longer are they worshiping an unknown God, but they are now worshiping the God. And revival breaks out. But something has happened. The reason why I brought John 4 up to you, because something critical has happened between John chapter 4 with the move of God and now the Acts chapter 8. Once again, they are worshiping man. Once again, they have stepped into that. How many of you know God will use all genders? How many of you know God will use everyone? How many of you know God will use people that everybody else has given up on? He had used- Well, God did use Balaam's donkey. Use that little woman that nobody believed in. What you have to understand is Samaria, the word Samaria in the Greek and in the Old Testament, uh, in the Hebrew means guardianship. They understood, Jesus understood Samaria represented the place where we're going to guard what God is doing. The problem is. <laughs> Somebody take away that, that man's. A Strong's Concordance. Oh, please. (laughs) (sighs) They didn't guard it. And somewhere between John 4 and Acts 8, a fellow by the name of Simon, a witch, has come in behind this woman and released a spirit of deception in the city to try and abort what God had planted before it came to fruition. What do you mean? God planted a righteous seed. And then Simon came in and began to abort the seed by convincing the city that he was God. What do you mean? Uh, could you tell me how you know that's the same city? Did Samaria only have one town? Hmm... Yeah, this little side story that he's telling, um, it ain't recorded in the Bible. He's connecting dots that probably shouldn't be connected. Let's continue. Second Timothy 3, 5. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. There are so many things that will walk around and try to be your God every day. It, that job, that thing that gets in the way. Then God, through the persecution that arose, you're not getting this yet, released the evangelist. Philip, living in a city, Stephen's just been martyred, Paul is killing everybody, Philip says, I am out of Jerusalem, I'm going down to Samaria. And suddenly, he goes down into Samaria and he starts driving out. This man should not be teaching anybody, not even like kindergartners. Oh my goodness, what a convoluted mess. The influence of deception that Simon has placed in the place. Can I say something to you? Oh, you've been saying stuff the whole time. Whenever God decides to plant a righteous seed, whenever God decides to do something big, the enemy will always send something or someone or something to try and abort what God had done in that city or in that family or in that church or in that ministry. What do you mean? Matthew 13, 24 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. What are you talking about, Pastor? Whenever God, Jesus is teaching the kingdom principle right here, but whenever God wants to do something big, the enemy always sneaks in. Some of you came into this house. You've given your heart to Christ. Your families have been rocked. And now it's like all hell is attacking you. Did you think... That the moment you took off sinner t-shirt, put on Christian t-shirt, that you're going to live in this little bubble? 
You are now on the enemy's radar. You weren't a threat when you were running with him. And I've always said it, but if you're not coming up against the devil, it's because you're flowing with him. Opposition is a sign that God is about to do something great. Give the Lord a praise offering. Amen. <laughs> For what? Uh, man. Let me take a Bible break for a second and uh, teach a little bit from the Bible regarding deception. You know that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, actually taught about deception. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, we read, Now, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. I'm starting at verse 3. They said, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray or deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. So they come in the name of the of Christ, claiming to be uh, an anointed one, a Messiah. And they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars, rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. The end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are but the beginnings of birth pains. They will deliver you up for tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because, of law, the, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So Jesus talks about deception, false prophets, false uh, Christ, people deceiving and being deceived. Hallmarks of the last days that we've been in since Christ has ascended. What's the solution to this? Well, again, I go back to what I said earlier at the beginning of the program. Get into your Bible. Know your Bible backwards and forward. It'll make it much easier to keep you from being deceived. Jesus said, make sure that no one deceives you. How? Through his word. Let's continue with this deceptive sermon about overcoming the spirit of deception. So opposition is a sign that God is up to something. The very fact that the enemy took time to plant tares tells you there's wheat there. The very fact that the enemy... Oh, good night. The enemy sent a Simon the sorcerer into Samaria is a sign that God sent a woman to the well in Samaria. Anytime you see something demonic going on, it means there's also something spirit going on from Jesus. Anytime you see an attack, something has threatened the enemy and he is raging war man by the name of Lewis Mumford said this, a certain amount of opposition is great help to a man. Lewis Mumford. Boy, does that name ring a bell. Hmm. Kites rise against the wind. 
not with the wind. I have learned if you're a great leader, if you're going to lead the orchestra, you got to be willing to turn your back on the crowd to direct it. You've got to be willing to say, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter who's coming against me. I must be doing something right. The Bible says in John 4, verse 28 through 41, Then leaving the, her, her, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Some of us don't pray because God will tell us everything we've ever done. But he's trying to get you to say, could this be God? It's that moment, verse 30. They came out of the town, made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, now this is all happening at the well. This is all happening at Samaria. Then he goes on to say, and, and uh, I, I love what it goes. They are ripe for the harvest. Verse 36, even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, the crops for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. How many of you remember singing that as a kid? We didn't even know what it meant. The reaper and the sower are glad together. It's like, huh? Like some of those songs we sang. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. And you're like, what do they mean? I don't know, but sing it or I'm going to get... Spanked. And, and what, I mean, I, I got beat, I got beat over the head with a hymnal one time by my mama. So you gotta understand, the word is in me and the songs are in me. And so, what you gotta realize is, now, now look, he said, the reaper, the sower and the reaper may be glad together, thus the saying, one sows another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. You have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. What are you talking about? I love verse 38. He said somebody else did the labor. Some of you need to understand God has held your ministry for such a time as this. Somebody else sowed uh, your ministry. Okay. Apparently speaking prophetic words over people's unborn ministries. But you get to reap the harvest. How many of you know favor is better than labor? Are you getting this? How many of you understand what I'm trying to get across to you here? I'm going to go back to Acts. Oh, trust me. I have no clue what you're trying to get across. This is called breaking the spirit of deception, and I just haven't found anything about that at all. Chapter 8, but I'm stuck in John 4 for a second. Let's camp out there for a second. Because in then verse 37, he said the sower and the reaper would be glad together. He's literally saying, I'm going to give you things you don't work for. I'm going to give you blessings. I'm going to give you houses. I'm going to give you things that you can't even explain. He says, I'm going to take you. I'm going to give you land you didn't have to buy. Follow me for a second. That's where the Summit Church is right now, which you have to realize. Why? Because if you're a part of this latter-day move of God, God says, I've already done the work. Now you go out and reap the harvest. The problem is, he says, we don't have enough workers to go pick up what I've already given you. Oh, you're not getting this yet. Folks, can I say something? You've been saying stuff the whole time, but I don't know what you're saying. See, God wants to get the victory and you get the spoils. You'll be a Philip and come in and take back what belongs to God. 
God says, I'm about to bless you. I'm just waiting on you to wake up and realize it. See, what you don't understand, I don't want the attitude of our forefathers or the great men and women that went ahead of us that used to say, oh, you just got to plow away one person at a time. Just hold on. I believe we're in a time of multiplication anointing. What used to take 10 <clears throat> yeah, again, he's preaching the fantasies of his own brain. Ten years will now happen in a year. What used to take a year will now happen in a month. What used to take a month will now happen in a week. What used to take a week will now happen in a day. What used to take a day will now happen in an hour. What used to happen in an hour will now happen in one minute. What used to happen in one minute will now happen in one second. See, God says, I'm about to bless you, and you don't even realize it. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the price that has been paid by others that have gone on ahead of you. Are you getting this so far? That's why Luke 11 verse 50 says the blood of the prophets shall be required of this generation. God says people have been paying a price for generations. Why don't you step in, become a worker of the harvest, and you'll take what you didn't even work for. Give him a real praise offering, would you? Again, for what? Your bizarre platitudes? I'm supposed to thank God for that. Why? Because God is setting the stage. Philip comes into Samaria. It isn't just the power of Philip's ministry that brings about a deliverance. It is the fact that God has been setting the stage for years. There's always been a, there's already been a righteous seed sowed there at a well. There's already a well there that at a well at that river of living water, real water came out of. Something is already there. So when Philip walks into Samaria and this demonic man, this witch doctor, this, this Satan high priest walks in, has been sitting there stirring up the people, some medicine man, and the evangelist shows up and says, wait a minute. We already had a move of God here. Who do you think you are to come in and try to take the move of God that was already here? What? What? Now you can take the... Moves, you can take them. With what? A word of God, or a word of God catcher, taker? Do you use a, a, a cage, a box, a baseball? I, what are you talking about? See, folks, God's setting you up. Everything you've ever been through has been going on in your life. Everything this community's gone through, everything our country has gone through in your family has been a setup for such a time as this. And timing, timing, timing is significant in the equation. It's Esther 4 verse 14, I believe it is, where it says, Don't you realize, Esther, you've been brought here for such a time as this? Uh, notice he's, at this point he's basically... Um... Preaching in such a way as to puff up your ego. He's not pointing you to Christ and him crucified for our sins and the work of Christ. Oh, boy. Folks, if you had tried to do, if we had tried to do what we're doing right now at another time, it would never have happened. But it's the timing. It's that moment. And what I'm trying to get into your head this morning before I close is success is normal. Uh, okay. Read uh, Hebrews 11. There's successful guys who did successful things by faith. And then there's guys who by faith were martyred and died and torn in two. Uh-huh. Learn to expect miracles. Learn to expect 
to see things that nobody else has ever seen. I don't even care if you get a little cocky about it. Huh. Y'all see that? My God's big. As long as you say what he says, give me the glory. As long as you say, but I've got family members, pastor, that have never sold out to God. Maybe now's the moment. You got to learn. That's why I tell you, have a prayer life, have a prayer life, have a prayer life. Because it's listening for that moment when you'll go in a back room somewhere and all of a sudden he says, you've been praying for years for this. Now's the moment. Grab your moment. Seize the moment. Somebody shout out, seize the moment. It's that moment where you begin to understand God says, I'm about to do something so big that you've worked so hard for. And you don't even understand you were created to win. He didn't send you to Samaria to fail. He didn't send me to Samaria. Second Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 1, I read, But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Yeah, the scripture warns us about men like Pat Chatsline, who in the name of overcoming or breaking a spirit of deception, engages in and um, flat out is writing the spirit of deception here. He's not telling us anything true about God. He's just blathering on about, I don't know what, with Bible verses sprinkled in to make it look biblical. He didn't wreak havoc in Jerusalem to get you to move here to Samaria to fail. He didn't get your whole world upside down in Albuquerque to get you to come here to fail. He brought you here because it's the moment. It's the time. It's the stirring. He didn't uproot your life, change your circumstances, change everything you've been through to come to this place to fail. He allowed havoc to be wreaked in your life to get you to that moment where you say, here I am. What do you want to do with me? I'm right here. He didn't call you to be mediocre. He didn't call you to fit in. He didn't call you to be normal. He didn't call you to be some casual Christian wandering around with your little holy look on. He called you to be militant. I thought God called you, Pastor, to actually preach God's word correctly, and you don't seem to be doing that. You're supposed to rightly divide or handle the word of truth. You're not doing that. He called you to be bold. He called you to step up and say, what do you want from me? Here I am. Send me. Love what C.S. Lewis said. Failures are fingerprints on the road to achievement. And some of the things you've walked through. He allowed it to happen. So while you've been blaming your boss or blaming your ex-spouse or blaming that person, God said, you know what? I'm going to take that and make it my glory. I will open doors for you. I will blow your mind. You're going to reap where you have not sown. I just, you're going to pick up toilet paper. (laughs) You just see me out there. I don't even know if I was plumbing. I don't even know. I'm just out in the middle of the road, just down there going, huh? Tossing it. I mean, I'm shooting. I'm just, I'm just shooting hoop right in the middle of the road. People driving by. And I'm like, oh, it's mine. 
Don't get my toilet paper. You don't know what it was like in college to have to go to McDonald's to get this stuff. How many single people ever went and got napkins? Amen? I was so poor, I used to suck on ketchup from McDonald's just to get a good meal in. See, what you got to understand is God is saying, I'm looking for people that will walk out and reap where you've not sown. You'll be driving down the road, a big old box of toilet paper. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> okay. Whatever you say, Pastor. Karen didn't appreciate it. Abby did. She's like, wow! And then we were running at the track yesterday. We got done running. I found three little junior high boys. I started telling about it. They're like, dude, that's awesome. Am I right? Well, y'all, y'all that was judging a little while ago and you're saying your toilet paper's not important to me. See, you're not a child. You're not going to heaven with me. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter two, starting at verse one, I read, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken uh, in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to have come from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy, the rebellion, comes first. And then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God's God sends a strong delusion so that they might believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but instead had pleasure in unrighteousness. But you got to watch for the terrorists and the traps of the dream. And I got to get ready to close. Because if he can get you to settle for a little bit of success, Ruth, you'll never go to the other corner. If he can get you to settle for a little bit of success, little boy, you'll never share your lunch. And God says, I'm looking for people that want to take it to the next level. I'm looking for people that understand that he is greater, that understand that God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The text that you just read from John said that God seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Something seriously lacking in this sermon. Nothing about taking us to the next level. Christ seeks and saves the lost. Christ died for our sins. Paul says he chose to know nothing among the Corinthians except for Christ and him crucified. Yeah, got anything like that in that little bag of bizarre little thoughts? God has a new wineskin waiting on you. 
Then understand church isn't the way you've always saw it. It's not about you. What you got to understand is I believe the enemy, when he sees that God is going to move, starts to scatter. He starts to scatter. Acts chapter 4 says they were scattered. And some of you have been scattered by the enemy. Some of you, if the world knew your real testimony, some of us are never going to know your real testimony until we get to heaven and it's showed on the giant screen. But if the world knew your real testimony, it'd blow their mind that you're even in this thing. Because you ought to be following Simon. And some of the people will never understand your fervor. People don't understand my, my fervor, my passion. Forget your passion. I don't understand your words. But it's through the hell that you walk through that you find your heaven. I believe that. I know that sounds... No, 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 no. Jesus walked through that hell for me. The hell he went through is called the cross. You know, God's wrath being poured out on him. That being what I deserved, what I earned. He died. He was pierced for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquity. You familiar with any of these concepts? almost a, uh, I don't know. I was looking at my sister laying there dead. It's walking through the things I walked through as a boy. Driving to the hospital thinking my wife is dead in a head-on collision. It's a Satanist cult group trying to steal my son when he was two years old and we had to put him in hiding. Those things were held in. They make you. They're the things that you get on the other side of and say, I may have less hair and it may be a little grayer, but I'm better for it. See, what I want to get across to you is the devil is organized. What does the Bible tell us? Daniel prayed for 21 days. Finally, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, look, man, we heard your prayer on the first day, but we've been doing battle with the prince of Persia. There are things that you need to understand. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 24? I'm not going to read it. But they tried to accuse him of operating as the devil. And he says, you know what? I'm sorry. You got it all wrong. He says, Jesus knew, verse 25, their thoughts and said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. But if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. You know what Jesus was saying to them? He said, I've never seen Satan's kingdom divided. I've seen churches divided. See, I challenge you to understand who you're fighting. What does the Bible tell us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11? Put on the full armor of God and stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles in the Greek is methodia. It means he is a method. When the, remember when I, I preached about uh, a couple weeks ago about Jesus casting the demons out of the man at the Gerasenes, the Gadarenes. The demons come running up and said, we are many, we are legion. The word legion means a group that marches together in battle. The devil's not divided, the churches are. And what you got to understand is he's organized. And that's why over and over it says guard against the devil's schemes, the devil's wiles. It means he is organized at methodia, methods. He has come together. He knows. That's why Paul said do everything in decency and order. It's time for the church to understand order, that we march together, we shout together, we pray together, we do war together, we eat together, we dream together. It's marching. We're not going to be divided. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, Pharisees, the devil's house is not divided. Yours is. Devil knows what he's doing. There's a demonic influence fighting this region. Come on, Pastor Eric. And preachers say you can only do so much in this city. The mindset is the culture, it's that religion, it's the Bible belt. We're the belt buckle. No, actually, Oklahoma's claimed that. 
Do you know that God can operate anywhere, any place? I love what David said in Psalms 139, verse 8. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and ascend to the uttermost part of the earth, thou art there. God says I'm in your hell. Cue sappy music. I have no idea. What was this that we've been listening? I do, wow. Hell and I'm in your heaven. I'm in your bad and I'm in your good. God says, I haven't left you. God says, I'm about to bless you. And we're about to march. We know that the enemy loves to live in regions. That's why he, they said, don't make us, we'll leave the man, but don't make us leave the region. Cast us into the pigs. I mean, you know, it's time to give the pig a permanent wave. Amen? Some of you get that when you get home. Uh, yeah, if somebody gets that later, could you email me? I, I didn't get it. Don't make me leave the region. And Simon comes in. He disrupts the place. And Philip walks up and says, see what he's doing? That's black magic. Watch this. Blinded eyes open. Lame begin to walk. It says he begins to do miracles. And the miracles of God are so good, they far outweigh a scary demonic witch. Then he gets done with his job. He stirs up the fire of God. And what do they do? The Bible says, they sent for Peter and John. Because once deliverance comes, be prepared for discipleship. Once deliverance comes, be prepared for discipleship. The Bible goes on to say that Peter and John show up. God's moving. Simon is shut down. He's out of business. Black magic store is closed. And all of a sudden, they begin to lay hands on people and they begin to get filled with the Spirit, which is for today. God wants you to have a prayer language. It's real. It's real. Not weird. It's power. Okay. False view of the uh, gift of the Spirit called the gift of tongues. Simon, who's still dealing with his flesh a little bit. Now, remember, Peter wasn't there when he got saved, so Peter doesn't know this guy. Says, hey, I'm going to buy some of that. Because he just hadn't crucified his flesh yet. We love to eat Simon alive, but it's because he hadn't been discipled yet that he would say something stupid. Well, I'm going to leave the church. I just got saved. I'm going to leave the church because of so-and-so. You just hadn't been discipled yet. Hold on. It's not about a person. Peter and John come in, lay hands on them. They get baptized in the Holy Ghost. The pastors come in. Faith and praise. Peter is faith. John is praise. And all of a sudden, Simon says, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Here's what I want to say to you. Deliverance is real. Freedom is real. And the place that you are in today is the place that God has planned. And it is time for us to be... My question is deliverance from what? Mediocrity? I don't... Based on this sermon, I have no idea. Apparently deception, but deception of what? He began to understand that he's already moved in this city. I told you about the great move of God between 1906 and 1936 in this city when churches began to explode. 
churches begin to grow. The seed is already here. But I think we bought into some deception in this city. God is saying, I want to raise up a church. In this oh, yeah, you've definitely bought into deception. If you're listening to this pastor you, and he's your pastor, you've bought into deception for sure. The city that will worship and praise me and not worship unknown gods anymore, but will praise me with spirit and truth. Listen closely. Shut your eyes across this place. I want to know one by one how many people in this room can say, Pastor, I've let deception walk in my life. I've let things become gods in my life. Everybody there at that church, you should be able to raise your hand. You've let deception walk right into your life. It's preaching to you right there. And yeah, should not be gods. I'm worshiping the wrong things. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to set me free. I want to become a Philip because I've been following the Simons of my life. What did Simon represent? Magic without Jesus. Trying to make things happen with trickery. God says, I want to win a city here. And I'm calling for a church that will be full of Philips. And when you got issues that rise up, the Peter and John will be there to help you. God is saying, I'm looking for a group of people that are ready to dream big. If you say, Pastor, number one. Really, uh, that's the message. God is looking for people who are ready to dream big. Yeah, this uh, sermon fits into the biblical category of the the wrong thing. This is deception. I want the deception out of my life. And number two. Oh, man, how sadly ironic is this? I want the deception. Get rid of your pastor then. I'm ready to be a Philip. Stand to your feet. Cross this house right now. Come on. I want stuff out of my life. I want to make sure I don't worship the wrong. I, you know what, folks, a Simon is? Simon's a phone call from someone at work says we're about to lose our job. That's a Simon. You know what a you know Simon is in your life? Assignment is a stock report that says it dropped 10% in one day. That's a sign. So a stock report, that's a sign. That's, that's black magic. Uh-huh. Wow. It's putting faith in anything but God's spirit. And the only way we're going to win a city is to understand that we must get God to invade this city. He's already moved here once. He'll move here again. He'll pour out his fire here. There's a hunger in this generation that says we're sick and tired of following. You know what assignment is? Popularity. You know what assignment is? Wealth and riches. You know what? Uh, I know what assignment is. It's Pastor Schatz line. What assignment is? It's anything that looks bigger than God. You know what assignment is? Your situation. But Philip, that's the one that walks in and says, let me show you the one true God. It's that anointing spirit that breaks that. Lift your hands across this house. Oh, there's an anointing here. The kiss of heaven is on this service. Would you pray this out loud with me, Jesus? Mm, No. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not giving you the privilege of praying on this program.
Well, um, so that was a sermon about breaking the spirit of deception that, well, he kind of wrote in on the spirit of deception and never got off. He never dismounted. And he was deceiving people left and right, even while he was having people pray to have the spirit of deception broken. Wow. Folks, if your pastor isn't correctly teaching the Bible and is spouting off bizarre little platitudes like this, you need to leave. This is not biblical preaching. This is kind of preaching that can land you in hell. Uh, who was missing? Oh, I know, the biblical Jesus. He did tell us the story from, you know, the, the story of the Samaritan woman, but kind of left out all those important details about repentance and the forgiveness of sins and what Christ has done for us on the cross. And instead, apparently God is looking for people who are ready to dream big. Yeah, I guarantee you, you can dream big dreams all the way to hell because that's not what the biblical gospel is about and that's not what biblical Christianity is about either. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. If you are not a member of our crew, please uh, join. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. It's a mere $6.95 every month. And it automatically, uh, is, uh, co the contribution occurs automatically after you sign up and you get access to our cove when you join. Pay attention to the button so that you can get the uh, information. And, uh, and of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you could like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Yeah, Christianity isn't about your dreams. It's about Christ and what he's done for you. Dying on the cross is your substitute. Being pierced for your transgressions. Pierced for your iniquities. The chastisement that was upon him that brought us peace with God. That's what Christianity is about. This other stuff, I don't know what that was, but it sure wasn't biblical and it sure wasn't Christian. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Uh, well, until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and the mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.